Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight, if you'll find your place there. Philippians chapter 4. And if you want to stick your finger in Ecclesiastes 1, we're going to be back over there tonight. So we'll be going back to Ecclesiastes 1. Go ahead and stand with me when you find your place. Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then as if to emphasize, if we didn't quite capture what he was saying here, he reiterates it, and so he says, and again, I say, rejoice. It's a big deal. This is a discipline. This is an attitude of deportment that's supposed to define the Christian life, our attitudes, our spirits, and who, who we are certainly define our church family and the aura that we put off. And if someone were to hear tonight, I say a lot of things about Eastland Baptist Church, but one of the things that should define us as Christians and as a collective body is that we're a group of people who have joy and, and that we rejoice and we rejoice in the Lord specifically. And so a few thoughts with that idea in mind tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, for time together, and uh, Lord, for your word, for the music today. Well, the choir specials were just such a blessing. And, and um, during the VBS highlights and uh, the fellowship we've already enjoyed, what I pray that you'd speak to our hearts once more tonight. And uh, Lord, uh, the areas that maybe um, maybe I would see or understand and, and certainly don't understand in our own hearts. I pray that you would uh, help us to shore up maybe some discouragement tonight, some anxiety, some lack of peace. And so I pray that you'd help us with these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we started a series in Ecclesiastes, and we'll pick that back up next Sunday evening. Um, and we'll get into the later verses in chapter 1 and again really into chapter 2. Each time I consider the book of Ecclesiastes, the life of Solomon, it unnerves me a little bit. Here was the man who had so much. Uh, we talked about that this morning, that he had everything. He started life with every advantage. And his life should have been one of rejoicing. And this morning, if you weren't in the service, we talked about how in the beginning of his life, here he is in 1 Kings chapter 3, and, and God comes to him, and here's this young man who's humble and in love with the Lord, and God says, you can have anything you want, and he says, you know, I want wisdom. I want to know how to lead people, how to serve people, how to love people. And it wasn't a selfish request. It was one born out of a need to love other people. And so he went from this to here he is years later as an old man in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with no hope, with no joy. Here's a man who's anxiety-ridden and in sorrow, and in the Bible talks about the vexation of spirit that we talked about this morning. We find no rejoicing. His nights are sleepless. His days are filled with agonizing thoughts of regret. If you've turned to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I just want to highlight maybe just a few verses here, and if you want to listen to, that's just fine. In verse 2, he says, all is vanity. This is where we begin to really pick up the tone and tenor of, of, of Ecclesiastes. In verse 13, he says, everything's a sore travail. In verse 14, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse 17, that phrase again, vexation of spirit. And again, it's the idea of great agitation, distress. This, this man is not happy. This man is in anxiety. He, 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 his, his face is etched with sorrow. And in verse 18, again, the words grief and sorrow. As we get into chapter 2, and uh, you look at this phrase in verse 17, and this phrase bothers me. It's a wake-up call to be really careful about what we're pursuing life. Because in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says these three words, I hated life. And what a miserable place to be. To get to a place where you just look at life and you just say, I hate it. 
Like I, I look back at the life that I lived and the things that I've done, decisions I've made, the things that I pursued, and I hate it. I hate my life today. I hate, what I've, I hate what's in my past, and I hate where I'm at. This man is vexed. He's stressed. He had everything life had to offer. All that the world could give, it gave to him. He gained the whole world, but he lost his soul. We discussed that at length this morning. See, even when we have things lined up, and even when we're living a life for God, there is still sometimes inside of us high anxiety. There can still be inside of us worry and vexation of spirit. And here was a man who knew God's voice, who in his heart of hearts loved the Lord, but along the way, of course, he left the spirit of God and had to get back to that place where he invited his presence into his life. But we too can get to that place. Anxiety, worry, loneliness, they're part of our lives and they're real battles that every single person in this room faces. And if you're not facing it today, you will be. And I would guess we've all faced those types of battles in the past. You know, I take comfort in the words tonight from the Apostle Paul because he too wor- struggled with worry and with anxiety. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, and I've asked Andrew to put that screen on the verse tonight. I'd throw that up there uh, for us. I want you to read this with me. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas. Okay, so let me stop there for just a second. Troas was a beautiful corner of the Mediterranean. It said it was on the Aegean port. It was known for its grapes and its cheese. It was a great place to visit. It would be like a vacation spot. It was a beautiful place. Had a real need for the gospel. Paul goes there. He gets to the city. He's setting up shop. He's imagining the evangelistic work he's going to do there. God had opened this door. So he says, furthermore, when I came to trust to preach Christ's gospel, he's there on a mission. It's a great place to be. He says, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. But then he says this phrase, I had no rest in my spirit. And here's the reason. Because I found not Titus, my brother. Titus was supposed to be there. Titus was supposed to help him in the ministry. Titus was supposed to be there for Paul as they would advance the gospel. But he couldn't find him. Apparently, the GPS on his iPhone wasn't working, right? And this is what happens. He says, because I couldn't find him, he left. He said, I took my leave of them and I went to Macedonia. Christ had opened this door. The Lord had said, here's this opportunity, Paul. And Paul says, I had so much anxiety. I had so much worry. I had so much stress. He says, I just couldn't do it. And I walked away from this opportunity. There's another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He says, when we were coming to Macedonia. So now he is in Macedonia. And he says this, our flesh had no rest. Ever been there before? Like, I, I'm just going and life's happening and, and my flesh has no rest. And he even defines this further. He says, we were troubled on every side. It just felt like opposition was coming from everywhere. He says, without were fightings. So outside it were all these tensions and turmoils. But he said, within our hearts, there was no rest. And within our hearts, there was what word? There's fear. There's this anxiety. 
There was this tension that existed in his heart. You know, someone defines fear or worry as a trickle that cuts its way through our mind and it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. You think of like something like the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there, or maybe just a really deep ditch, and it's like all the water that rushes just goes right into it. And all of our thoughts, when we have something that is causing fear within us, that is causing distress, it's causing us to be upset, all our thoughts, it's like they all run to the same place, to that point of anxiety and fear and stress, and they just fall in. And Paul says, this is where I was. And if Solomon experienced that, and he didn't handle it well, Paul did too. But Paul did handle it well. Several years ago, there was a teacher in India. His name was Meher Baba, who gained a global following with his odd brand of Eastern mysticism. And he claimed that he was God in human form, and he was the avatar of God for our age. He was renowned for silence. He communicated by using an alphabet board and hand gestures, or by sending a cable to those who would follow him. He thought the entire universe was an illusion. And since nothing is real, he surmised that there is nothing that can bother us, nothing that can upset us, nothing that can cause us worry or fear. And he had a very famous saying, and the saying was this, don't worry, be happy. Well, one of his followers that followed him was Bobby McFerrin. And he was a devoted follower of him. And so in the 1980s, he turned it into a hit song. And it showed up everywhere. Presidential campaigns, films and television shows, in video games, you name it. Four little words, and they were sung in a breezy Caribbean style. And don't start singing it tonight. <laughs> I, have a I just have this urge inside me to start saying, singing it. I was listening to it in my office uh, before church on my iPhone. And Catherine says, what is that, Dad? You know, I was like, don't worry, be happy. How can you not know what this is, Catherine? So I educated her on the ways of these things. You know, it's a great thought. It's catchy, too. It's just not complete. The music video that was produced, one of the actors in there, his name was Robin Williams. And later in life, he would take his own life because he just wasn't happy. You know, happiness is a byproduct of good decisions. But you and I know this. Happiness in our hearts, in our lives, it comes and it goes. It's like a roller coaster. I mean, we're happy, and then we also, we also know there's just these dips in our, in, our, in our lives and circumstances and life as a way of taking us into a ditch. But joy and rejoicing, Paul would distinguish from happiness because they are dispositions of the heart. See, here's the problem for us that we struggle with. Joy and rejoicing are not mutually exclusive with sorrow. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, we read about Jesus Christ. And it said He was anointed with the oil of gladness. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, here Jesus was, and, and what a great word picture. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. I've always imagined the Lord to be in His presence. He had to be a happy person. Joy is a default disposition of, of God's heart. And I would have loved to have, and maybe someday we'll get some peeks into what happened between he and his disciples, but I bet they had some really wonderful times together. together. But we also read about Jesus, that he wept. We also read that his heart was broken. We also read that he was full of sorrow, that he was acquainted with grief. 
And Paul was no different. And, and he didn't try to separate these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, he says, as sorrowful, and then he says this, the next words, yet always rejoicing. So he's not talking about happiness here. He's talking about a default disposition of joy. Not this giddiness, not this don't worry, be happy idea. He's saying it's a decision that I make regardless of how sorrowful and difficult life is. I choose joy and I choose to rejoice. And it's a, it's a, it's a hard decision that I've made. Someone once said emotions come and go, but attitudes come and they grow. See, our attitude about what happens to us has a way of settling into our heart and it becomes part of who we are. You take Solomon tonight, and so some circumstances befall Solomon, and life doesn't go his way, and his pursuits lead to a dead end. And Solomon's disposition in his heart was this, vexation of spirit. I'm just going to be unhappy, and he becomes this bitter old man, alone, hands trembling, sorrowful, can't tell you enough how unhappy and sad he is. And then you take the Apostle Paul. And Paul, and Paul had none of the privileges that Solomon had. He's beaten to death. The guy's stoned, left for dead, isolated, in prison his whole life, his whole ministry to Christ. He had the same struggles. He had the same questions, had the same type of vexation. But instead, he chose joy. And he chose that in his sorrow, he would still have a spirit of rejoicing. And it became part of who he was. That became his character. And consider the emphatic nature of the challenge tonight. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, this is emphatic. Like, this is a decision you make, and I want you to do this. I say, rejoice. I, I love my kids, and, and I tell them all the time, look, I have expectations of you. I was alone with Sophia last night, and we went to the gym together, we came home together, we went and got a cup of coffee together, tried to spend a few hours with her, and I was talking about dating and boys, and uh, that she can never date or get married. It's just not, it's just not in the red cards for her. That's not what I said. I was just talking about behavior, and I said, Sophia, I have these expectations, the ideals, these ideals, and I want you to know that if, if, if at some point you think my expectations aren't fair, and my ideals are wrong, I want to talk about it. Like, I want you to tell me that. And, 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 and in, the, in the areas I can yield, I will. But we need to talk about this and discuss these things. But I have expectations for your behavior, for who you are as my child. And you're my daughter. And I love you. And I have these expectations because I'm in love with her. You know, rejoicing is an expectation that God has placed on us. He has this expectation of us and he places it upon us. And there are so many examples in the Bible. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she struggled with an anxiety. She couldn't have a baby. She wanted a baby. And she was in turmoil at home and her husband, he had another wife, Penina, and, and man, she, and Penina would taunt her. and It would make things so much worse for Hannah. And she just wanted a baby and God blessed her with one. He finally gave her a child, and she prayed, and she said, my heart, and then she says this word, it rejoices in the Lord. Not in the fact that I had a baby. It rejoices in God. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice, she says, in thy salvation. God, you're good. And she took that baby, and she gave that baby back to God. 
And she said, Lord, I rejoice in you. You are my salvation. It was a choice she made. In the midst of anxiety and difficulty and, and struggle, David, after sin, David was like, he loved the Lord. He did a lot of great things. But man, when he chose to sin, or when he allowed his heart to sin, he did it so in spectacular fashion. And here he is, and he's, he's looking at the Lord like, Lord, I messed up. I need your forgiveness. I need to start over. In Psalms 32, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Was David perfect? Far from it. Did David mess up in a spectacular way? Yes. Did he go back to God again and again and get it right? Yes. Did God forgive him again and again? Yes. Did God give him a fresh start? Yes. And David say, hey, look, that's enough for me. I just rejoice in the Lord because of who he is. And he gives me a fresh start. In Psalms 35, 9, David's fighting with his enemies. Incredible opposition in his life. His own master that he had faithfully served is chasing him and trying to kill him. And everyone else in the world that felt like at that time was trying to kill him too, except for a few hundred men. And in the midst of all this, David writes, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, and it shall rejoice in his salvation. When everything else is going wrong, when life stinks, when things aren't going my way, I have the Lord, and I have him to fall on. Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, 18. Things couldn't go worse for Habakkuk or the nation of Israel. Like, like nothing was good. There was no silver lining to the cloud. It was just a cloud. Like everything was bad. All, everything coming was bad. And Habakkuk says, the fig tree won't blossom. The, 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 neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive, it's going to fail. The fields, they'll yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There are no, you know, herds in the stalls. Everything's going to go to pot. The agriculture's going to fall. The whole system's going to collapse. We're in big, big, big trouble. And then he says these words, yet I will. I make this choice. Things aren't good. My life is hard. But I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. See, rejoicing in the Lord demonstrates our willingness to trust God so much that it affects our attitude. Like, things are not good in my marriage. Things are not good in my relationships. When I go to work tomorrow morning, you have no idea what I'm going to face. The extensions in my family, it's really challenging. Everybody's against me. My health isn't good. My paycheck's not good. Things are pressing in. Life is hard. Yet I will, and if we would echo the cry of Saul and not of Solomon, we might say words like this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's my choice. I have to make a choice here. What I'm going to do with that angst, with that anxiety, with that sorrow, with that frustration. It's imperative. I'm going to trust God so much that he's in control, that he has my best interests in mind, that I'm living in hope of heaven. I'm going to trust him so much that my trust in him and his goodness is going to affect my disposition. It's going to affect my smile. It's going to affect my joy. And this is a choice that I made. There are a lot of things we are not to do in Scripture. And one of those things is not rejoicing. Not rejoicing is just as wrong as other sins and things God tells us not to do. We have to realize 
again and again that we do not have to live at the mercy of our feelings. Happiness is a feeling, but it comes and it goes. It rises and it crashes. But joy is not a feeling. It's a disposition and it's a choice we make. How is this possible? Well, as Solomon said this morning, under the sun, it ain't. It ain't going to happen. Apart from Jesus, life has no purpose. It has no meaning. And it leads to vexation of spirit, just like Solomon. But as we tried to look at this morning, above the sun, well, it's different. And we add Jesus Christ. And he says this, rejoice in the Lord. It's a prepositional phrase. And it is imperative. And it, it makes everything all of a sudden make sense. Without the phrase... It's nonsensical. We can't always rejoice in our circumstances. Can't always rejoice in the people around us. They're going to let us down. They're going to frustrate us. We can't always rejoice in the things that happen to us. But we can rejoice in the Lord. And over and over again, from Hannah to Paul to David to Habakkuk, we read these words, rejoicing in the Lord. In Psalms 42, David said, Why are you cast down on my soul? People trying to kill you? Yes. Things going bad? Yes. Why are you so cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Lift your eyes above the sun. I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Not my countenance. But when I look above the sun and I see his countenance, it's to be reflected in my countenance and in my heart and in my joy. We're to rejoice in his presence. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. There's going to be some hard moments, but I am there. So rejoice. His providence. I am working all things together for good to those that love me, that are called according to my purposes. Hang on. Hold on. Stay with me. Rejoice. In my pardon, you messed up again. He forgives. Go back. Get things right and start over. His paths, his purposes, his protection, his one day, his paradise, he's going to take us to. These are things for us to rejoice about. But rejoicing is a condition we cultivate. It is something we train into our lives. It is said that we repeat 40% of our behavior every single day. 40% of our behavior today will be repeated tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and so on and so forth. And we have to participate in training our behavior. Friday evening, the boys' room looked really bad. <laughs> there were things everywhere. It was very disorganized. And so I went in there. And, you know, I'm like, okay, we got to start from scratch, guys. Let's get everything in the hallway, which Elizabeth loved me doing. You know, clutter up the whole hallway. She says, thank you, babe. And so let's get everything, we're going to put everything back. So we get everything cleaned up. We label things. And we do this, you know, every few months. Just have to reorganize everything, get everything labeled. And so I come in there Friday night, and, and there was like six or seven things on the floor again. And I just, I'm just coming undone, like, guys, you can't do this. Okay, so let's go through the things. Whose pair of shoes are these? Well, they're mine, Dad. Okay, where do shoes go? Because we have a designated space, right? Yes. Where do the shoes go? Well, they go here. Okay, what is this? It's a pen, Dad. Where do pens go? 
oh, well, they could go here, they could go here, or in the kitchen in that, in that, in that cup mom's got. Yes, three locations. Let's go. Let's go put those things away. What's this right here? Well, that's a bandana, Dad. Where does the bandana go? I don't know. Well, I don't know. Let's make a decision. Let's make a choice. Okay, the bandana goes in my miscellaneous drawer. Great idea. Okay, what am I doing in that process? I am training my sons how to clean their room because I want their room clean. Training. I'm training their behavior, their actions. Let's force ourselves to make a decision. Let's not just go into the room and throw everything on the ground and just let things happen. Because what happens when that life becomes messy? We become stressed. Dad wants to pull his hair out, right? No, we're going to train our behavior so that we can have peace. We have order. And it is no different in our souls. This is, this is the room for our thoughts, our minds, and emotions. And they have to be disciplined. They have to be trained. You train your heart to see the good. You choose to focus on the Lord. You think a thought and you think, and you have to say to yourself, that's not the right thought. Where does this thought go? Well, this thought goes into the trash. Where does this thought go? Well, it needs to be filed over here. Where, where does this thought grow? Well, this, this thought needs to be maximized. I'm going to train my mind and my heart to focus on the Lord. I'm going to choose Him. A few years ago, we took the girls when they were younger to Disney World. And we wanted them to experience the Disney princesses before they got too big. And so they were little and things were still magical for them. And it was a great experience. So we left the boys at home. We took the girls. We go to Disney World. We get down there. And, uh, and, you know, I think we're just going to princesses, and I'm just along for the ride and taking a couple pictures. We get into Epcot, and I don't know if you've ever been to Epcot, but they have these incredible topiaries. And I, my, my jaw is just dropped, and I'm looking at these plants, and I, I could not get enough of it. I had so much fun. We went there during the spring season, and there was these vines. And they had trained them into breathtaking topiaries. Now, look, without training, the plants are overgrown, and they're meaningless. But you take a trellis and you start to shape that plant and it becomes something beautiful. And I want to tell you tonight, joy in our hearts is a trellis. It is a trellis for our thoughts. It is a trellis for our emotions. We are to take those things and Paul says conform them. Conform them to the image of Christ. Use that as a trellis. Grow your thoughts. Grow your heart. Grow your emotions. Grow these things around this idea of joy. Here is Paul sitting in prison. Most likely commentators believe it's summer in Italy and it's hot. He is in chains. Every time he moves, he's clanging around. Sanitation, no doubt, was not good. And here he is in a miserable place, in miserable conditions, having suffered so much for the Lord... Here's a man who had had anxiety, and yet here he has trained his heart, he's trained his thoughts, he's trained his emotions so that even in this condition, he has formed himself to the image of Christ and this trellis of joy. And he's writing to his Christian fellow brethren who are not in prison, and he says, we have a lot of reasons to what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He could have interpreted his misfortune negatively. Instead, he viewed his circumstances through the lens of a sovereign God who had a plan that he was working in Paul's life. Joy is an atmosphere, and it's one that we train ourselves to, and it's one that we create. 
And Paul was in an atmosphere and a place where no joy was. It ain't present. So what did Paul do? Well, figuratively, he rubbed his hands together and said, let's get to work and let's create it. Like a thermostat in the room, we're going to crank up the joy dial here. In my marriage, in my home, in my church, in my work environment, and in all of those places where you live and exist, you control the thermostat of joy. It's your choice. And sometimes we have to go to where there's no joy and say, you know, I'm going to crank that thing up a little bit. We need to create a, a, a spirit of rejoicing, even when there is not one. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James said, I, My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Like when life's difficult and you're suffering for the Lord, he said, change it into joy. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't have a woe is me attitude. He says, look at, look at the people in Scripture who even though life was really hard said, I will rejoice. It's a choice I make. I have the Lord. And so life is still good. You know, it's the classic story of Scrooge. Here he was, it's the Christmas season. And, and, and everyone else sees the joy, except for him. He didn't see it. He didn't value it. And in the end, when Scrooge changes, did anything in the story change? No. What changed? Scrooge's disposition and the way that he saw things. He looked at life differently. And that's what we're supposed to do. Joy is an environment we construct and it provides fresh air to all those who breathe around us because our joy is contagious. It rubs off on each other. If 10 people come in here tonight with a bad spirit and a bad heart, it's going gonna, it's gonna to dramatically affect the impact this spirit of this auditorium and this song service. It's going it's to hurt us all. You go home tonight with that bad spirit, it's going to set a tone in your home of toxicity. But you come in with joy. All of a sudden, all of our hearts are, are benefited and we're lifted and we're better off. And we face the week together and we're happy and we're like, let's go do this. Let's serve the Lord. Let's have a good week together. It's an, it's an environment we construct and we create. So here were these Christians that Paul's writing to. They were genuinely worried about Paul. They knew he was in prison. They were demoralized by his imprisonment. They were fearful of persecution themselves, that they themselves would end in that spot. And Paul wanted to convey to them a positive atmosphere. And so in Philippians 1.12, he said, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. What's he saying? I'm okay. Hey, the gospel's got to go forward. I'm in prison, but it is okay because the gospel's going to be forward. Hey, spirit of joy. Verse 19, I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I have the Lord. You're praying, we're good. Verse 27, let your conversation, your conduct, the things you do and say, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else I'm absent here in prison, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then he says this as he concludes the chapter in verse four, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I've trained myself. I've conditioned myself around this trellis of joy. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, be joyful. And I know how to abound, be joyful 
everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says those words that we love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Could Paul set himself free from jail? Well, Paul, if you can do all things through Christ that sets you free, pick those locks, buddy, and get out. Like, just get out. Was he talking about something physical? Was he talking about the sport field? Like, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're going to win this game. That's what he's talking about. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is it about anything outward? It's everything to do with inward. I can choose to rejoice because through Christ in me, I get to choose my spirit attitude. I don't get to choose what happens around me. I can't do anything about that, even through Christ. He's, he's not chosen to give me that kind of power. But I have power within. I can do all things through Christ. I can have a good spirit. I can have a good heart. I can abound. I can be a base. And it's okay because I will rejoice in the Lord. Paul's joy, his rejoicing wasn't just for his benefit. His attitude and his optimism, it spread, and so will yours. We are impacting one another. Okay, let me conclude. And I know, I know I've gone late, both services, and I apologize. Solomon died an old man with privilege. Money in the bank, nicest of everything, power and privilege. Paul died, no money, dirt poor and alone. And Solomon died with bitterness, and he said this, I hated life. Hated it. And Paul died rejoicing. Like both men went to heaven. But the contrast of these two lives, it cannot be greater. It's not about what they had. It's not about who they had. It's not about what they, 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 they didn't have. It's about the outlook that they made in the circumstances they were in, in their relationships, in their homes, in their church, in their vocations, they made choices. Which one do you want to be? How do you want to die? What kind of spirit do you want to have? What kind of impact? What kind of thermostat? What kind of power do you have? See, you are training your attitude and your spirit to be one or the other. The longer you persist in not rejoicing, the longer you persist in having a bad attitude and being bitter and not forgiving and just seeing the negative in life, the longer and more you do that, the more you will become that very thing because you're reinforcing it in your life. And instead of training your disposition around the trellis of joy, you're training your spirit and your, and your condition in life and the circumstances that happen to you around the trellis of vexation of spirit. And it's harder and harder to be any different. And Paul says, stop. Like, let's put these things aside. Let's clean the room up. Let's get the right thing out. Let's take our thoughts, let's discipline them, and let's begin to conform to the Spirit and the image of Christ. And he says this, rejoice, not necessarily always in your circumstances or in people. He says, rejoice in the Lord once in a while. That's not what he said. Like, no matter what's going on, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, if you didn't hear me the first time, I say, as I'm riding in this prison, in these chains, this awful heat, and by the way, the power went off for him. <laughs> and so we might know a little bit of what that feels like, some of you. And he says, again I say, rejoice. Let me ask you to stand tonight. Heads bowed and eyes closed.